Good morning. A special on the escalating war in Ukraine, the potential for nuclear war, and the response of peacemakers. An award for a lifetime of service goes to a former chief editor of the nation. And the WBAI News, once produced by this reporter, gets a nod. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. The Russian military's daily briefing on Tuesday showed the counteroffensive mounted by Ukraine is slowly taking back territory lost to Russia in the first months of the war. President Volodymyr Zelensky said that Ukraine's military had made major rapid advances against Russian forces and freed from occupation dozens of towns in the south and east of the country. Meanwhile, Russian diplomat Konstantin Voronstov told the UN General Assembly on Tuesday, continued American deliveries of weapons, intelligence, and even fighters to Ukraine are approaching the dangerous line of direct confrontation with Moscow. According to the Pentagon, the U.S. has spent more than $19.6 billion in security assistance to Ukraine since 2014 and another $16.8 billion since February 24th, when the Russian military operation began. In related news, the Central Intelligence Agency is celebrating its 75th anniversary this year. October also marks 60 years since the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, arguably the closest the world ever came to a nuclear war. In an interview with CBS News, CIA Director William Burns says there's no sign of a buildup of Russian nuclear weapons. But he adds the Russian president, he feels, has been cornered by the West. Putin cornered, um, Putin who feels his back against the wall, um, can be quite dangerous and reckless. And we saw, you know, the flawed assumptions that he's made before the war. I think he's basing his approach now on equally flawed assumptions where he thinks he can tough it out with the Ukrainians and with the United States and with the West. CIA Director William Burns. As mentioned earlier, this month marks five decades since U.S. spy planes discovered nuclear-capable missiles being erected in Cuba. The missiles were a response to a failed invasion attempt by U.S.-backed Cuban exiles a year earlier. President John F. Kennedy addressed the nation and warned of possible conflict. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States requiring a full retaliatory response upon the Soviet Union. I call upon Chairman Khrushchev to haul and eliminate this clandestine, reckless, and provocative threat to world peace and to stable relations between our two nations. The 13-day confrontation ended with the Soviets removing the missiles. The U.S. removed some offending rocket space in Turkey and promised to never invade Cuba, although a commercial blockade of the island exists to this day. U.S. ambassador to the United Nations at the time was Adlai Stevenson. In many ways, despite the crisis, the U.S. and the Soviets managed to arrange a far-reaching peace agreement that reduced tensions between the two countries that lasted for two decades. And in conclusion, it urgently recommends that the United States and the Soviet Union confer promptly on measures to remove the existing threat to the security of the Western Hemisphere and the peace of the world, and to report thereon to the Security Council. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Adlai Stevenson, during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962.
And the United States has had an influential peace movement since World War II ended. In the 1950s, activists were opposed to nuclear weapons and atmospheric testing of nuclear bombs. One of the publications closely associated with the early peace movement is The Nation. Founded in 1865 as an anti-slavery newspaper, it went through various incarnations and became a voice calling for detente with the Soviet Union in the 1970s. On Monday, the magazine's former chief editor, Katrina Vandenhuvel, was honored with the William Sloan Coffin Jr. Peacemaker Award. Coffin had been a senior minister at Riverside Church in Manhattan, a venerable institution where Martin Luther King Jr. and Fidel Castro, among many others, had spoken. The event was organized by Peace Action, a longtime peace activist group. Besides Vandenhuvel, 24 journalists and journalistic organizations were honored as well. Student peace groups, environmental and socialist reporters were among those, including the WBAI News, edited for the past three years by this reporter. It received special mention. Among the speakers was the nation's national affairs correspondent John Nichols. He says the world is in as dangerous a place as it's been since 1962, and voters must be educated to the threat. First and foremost, peace is on the ballot this November. I am so glad you applauded for that because the next line is going to not be an applause line, which is... Very few Americans know that because our media system fails us. Vladimir Putin and his allies and associates suggested the possibility that tactical nuclear weapons might be used in Ukraine and potentially in other spots where Russia felt threatened. And then the response of the President of the United States, Joe Biden, was that the United States would use all of its military power in order to protect every inch, and he repeated that phrase, every inch of every NATO country. So you understand what we had just last week? We had the full re-upping of the Cold War. We literally had a Russian leader saying, you know, possibly could go to nukes, and an American leader saying, yes, we're gonna come back with everything we got. John Nichols is National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation. Nichols was followed by eminent peace activist Cora Weiss. She's been at the forefront of anti-nuclear weapons activism, the movement against the war in Vietnam, and many other similar organizations. Weiss recounted how Vanden Heuvel and her late husband had a special relationship with the former Soviet leader, Mikhail Gorbachev. You may know that Katrina Vanden Heuvel and Stephen Cohen, both fluent in Russian, were close buddies of President Gorbachev, who called them his best friends in the United States. Katrina said of Gorbachev, he was the most radical and committed arms redu reductionist ever to lead a nuclear country, a fervent supporter of nuclear abolition. You quoted Gorby, who said, if we don't attempt what seems impossible, we will risk facing the unthinkable. Peace activist Cora Weiss. Gorbachev is best known for opening up the Soviet Union's command economy through a policy known as perestroika. Christina Vandenhuvel took a minute to introduce her daughter as a product of her parents' interest in peaceful coexistence. She spoke of Reverend William Coffin, who officiated at our wedding, which I remember... I remember that we talked about Russia and the CIA, and then the honeymoon, Steve went to the United Nations to 
be with Gorbachev, and I went to the nation. It cemented the marriage. And what Cora and Bill Coffin and everyone in this room did, and John Nichols, my great colleague, is understand that you can make change, you can have an impact, and you gotta work. But there's, there's a hope in that. It's not just rosy optimism that things will work out well, but it's hope that you will, in working for change, make change. I'm gonna, I wanted to shout out to my perestroika baby, Nika, who's here with her fiance. Whoa. Nika was conceived in uh, perestroika. <laughs> no, I was about to say it was beluga vodka. <laughs> that I think played a role. But the Cuban Missile Crisis, 1962, is still remembered as perhaps the most dangerous time in terms of possible nuclear conflict between the United States and the Soviet Union. But there were, there were back channels. There were people talking. I think today that the threat of the US-Russian conflict at its, is at its gravest, more Ukrainian and Russian soldiers, fathers, sons, being sent to die in a war that could have been avoided, and those on all sides who don't work to end this war will be remembered for it. On Tuesday, Vanden Heuvel spoke exclusively with the news about Russia, Ukraine, and the growing threat of a new Cold War and the possibility of nuclear combat. We're looking at a proxy war in a sense. That's the, one of the most dangerous things because Ukraine should be free and independent, and there was on order, Paul, mm-hmm. a few years ago, something called the Minsk or Minsk II agreement, where there could have been a loose confederation that occurs in other parts of this country, giving Donetsk, mm-hmm. Luhansk, Donbass, more freedom within Ukraine, a kind of loose confederation. But that is very hard to see right now. What's da- so dangerous is that more and more weapons are being shipped into Ukraine, and that the goal of you know Ukraine free and sovereign, is now really overtaken by the goal of rolling back Russia. And that's a throwback in many ways to the politics of another era. There was a struggle between containment in the late 40s, 50s, and rollback. But now we're at a point, Paul, where the questions are not about how to de-escalate, how to find a way forward, how to negotiate a resolution of this conflict, but more and more weapons. How do we get more and more weapons? I think it's going to be a really strong cold day when people realize that the longer this war goes on, the more Ukrainian men, Russian men, men are going to be killed. And that Ukraine at the moment is talking about $5 billion a month needed to sustain it. We could do far better if we spent time trying to resolve through back channel into full channel, avoiding nuclear risk, avoiding the decimation of countries and finding a diplomatic way forward. I, you know, I'm not an expert on territories, but there's no question that there could have been on offer something better that has been superseded by militarization, militaristic thought on both sides. What happens in times of war, Paul, you know better than I do, is war parties ascend. Those who seek peace and justice don't make out too well. So I think there's that as solidarity, even while Ukraine the other day, Zelensky, I don't know if you saw, issued a resolution that there would be no negotiation with Russia, that it was banned. Yeah. There has to be cooler heads, even though one understands the hatred many Ukrainians now feel toward Russians or vice versa. We have seen, for example, Northern Ireland decades ago negotiated. Negotiation is not appeasement, which our culture too often signals.
This is tied up with the entire rightward move that we've seen from Trumpism in, the, in America to the rise of right-wing uh, nationalists in Europe and different parts of the world. That This is just an expression of the whole world like spinning out of control that, that started, it seemed, in the last 10 years. There have been good things in the last 10, 15 years. Occupy Wall Street. Bernie yes. Sanders running for president. He didn't win, but he shifted the debate. 15 minimum wage no longer sounds wacko. But the inequality and failed establishment in so many countries and a failure of the progressive left to offer other than technocratic solutions or the center right, let me put it that way, which masquerades as a left in many countries, right. has left people feeling angry. And the danger is that anger often leads to a kind of hyper-nationalistic extremism, which is certainly in play in Russia and is in play here and is in play in Brazil. You're right. There's a sense that the world is out of control. But can be looked at through history. And there's certainly a history to the Ukraine-Russia situation. And there were failed negotiations that might have led not to peace, but to security and stability in that part of the world, which are now need to be retrieved in some configuration, not the original. Mm -hmm. But it's crazy. We're, at a, we're in a proxy war now. Both Soviet and American leaders during the first, second Cold War were careful to prevent proxy wars from turning into direct war between the superpowers. We are close to that now, and it is more dangerous at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, right. which had intense 11th-hour diplomacy. And we hope for 11th, 12th, 13th hour, but I don't see it at the moment. All right. Uh, they're the best and the brightest back then, like McNamara and uh, RFK and the rest of them. McNamara came repentant at the end and said, we survived nuclear war. We survived it because of luck. Let's not you know, depend on luck. But this is the actual anniversary, this month, anniversary of the Cuban Missile Crisis in 62. And that was very close. And the recklessness in which the normalized talk about nuclear weapons today can make it more usable. You know, the barriers mm -hmm. to use yeah. should be outrage and moral horror and never again. Yet nukes are talked about in a normal way, which I think is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Winter is coming, and I just thought about that today. It, in a month or two months, it's going to be below zero, and I just you know, have I've visions of Napoleon and Hitler and all this stuff. I've been in Moscow September 1 when it was snowing and fierce. It could come at any time. Ukraine is also used to the weather, and what comes before snow is mud, which is horrible. But there's no question that the grinding, slogging war will go on through the winter, which will possibly tamp it down but maybe war will concentrate the mind but i'll tell you where it's going to concentrate the mind in europe where the cohesion may fall apart and the recession and energy crisis could be very severe we've already seen hunger and other issues collateral damage from this war and a majority of the world isn't as consumed with this war they want something else so i think maybe china and india could play a role in pushing toward some kind of outcome. But the United States needs to get involved, and I think it's increasingly difficult the longer this goes on, unless they're back channels again, which we're not seeing. Katrina Vanden Heuvel is former chief editor of The Nation. She's the 15th recipient of the William Sloan Coffin Jr. Peacemaker Award. She spoke exclusively with the news. I'm Paul DiRienzo.
As winter closes in and fighting between Russia and Ukraine intensifies, with Ukraine backed by billions in U.S. armaments, not everyone feels the Russian side is responsible for the war. An activist with the Socialist Unity Party's John Parker, he was in Ukraine in May, not the part we hear about, western Ukraine, but the Donbas region recently annexed by Russia. He traveled by bus from Moscow to Luhansk. There's been a, uh, you know, a lot of one-sided reporting on this issue, and the danger is that it's pushing us into World War III. So we thought it was very important to go and try to get the another side uh, that's not being reported. Went there and actually, you know, we found out that basically there is no other side of our, our, our opposition that is able to exist in Ukraine right now after the 2014 coup by the United States government. Of the U.S. that um, the Russians just went there for no reason, just to take over territory. Uh, if you talk to the people of the Donbass region, the eastern part of Ukraine, they will say that that's not the case at all. In fact, in February, um, there was about to be a genocidal nightmare that was going to occur uh, with 150,000 Ukrainian troops on the border ready to go in. Um, and this was the extension of eight years of massacres, tortures, and rapes by the Ukrainian military against the people of the Donbass region, who are mainly Russian-speaking. Uh, and that's not being reported over here. And so that's what we wanted to get their stories out and document their uh, their truth. People of color in America, why should they care about this? I was recently in Buffalo, Buffalo, New York, where the white supremacist went and shot 10 black people in the supermarket. And he was wearing the uh, emblem of the Azov Battalion. And he said in his manifesto that he was influenced by this person in New Zealand who was in contact with the Azov Battalion. It's been reported that 17,000 white supremacists have gone through Ukraine to get military training and then come back to the United States. So this is a real danger to especially black and brown people here in this country, this push, this support for white supremacy. So uh, even Blackwater, which is the company, everybody knows Blackwater, they're the ones who shot at the black folks and who were trying to escape the floods in New Orleans. Well, they're very active. Now they call themselves Academy, but they're still very active in Ukraine as well. So this push towards white supremacy isn't, it's not helping us and it's not helping people who are suffering from this who are drowning in prices right now and this inflation that's in, impoverishing us all and the, the rents and the, all these other crises that are going on, the hurricanes. It's about $70 billion now that they're spending on, on the Ukraine, on weapons to Ukraine. All that money could have been used for COVID relief to fight the effects of inflation. So it's going to take a movement here, strong, powerful movement to say no more weapons for Ukraine, use the money for what we need here. And what are your comments on the uh, what have been characterized as uh, nuclear threats coming from the Russian government? This provocation has gone on for a long time. The last twenty years, NATO has doubled, has doubled, uh, and they've circled around, encircled the Soviet Union and now Russia. And so, when you have a country like Ukraine that's saying that they will take nuclear weapons and. Uh, with the military led by Nazis, <laughs> that with rockets that could reach Moscow in five minutes, well, that's such a provocation that it's to be expected that people are going to say that they're going to defend themselves any way they can. Um, so the main problem is is this provocation, the continued provocations now, and now we have a general that's assigned to basically dictate what the military in Ukraine is going to do. So this is a U.S. war. This is a direct U.S. war against Russia. 
Um, and of, so, of course, it's, it, uh, folks are going to try to defend themselves and, and, tell, and say they're going to defend themselves. But that's why it's so dangerous. And that's mm-hmm. why this push towards World War III and has to, we have to say this is not only against Russia, but this is also a threat against China. Especially when we see people going in, going into Taiwan and trying to stir things up there. So this is it's really going to take the anti-war movement here around the country, around the world, to stop this this push towards World War Three, because that will be a war that makes World War One and Two pale in comparison. John Parker is an activist with the Socialist Unity Party. He visited the parts of Ukraine recently annexed by Russia when he was there last May. Another supporter of Russia, rock star Roger Waters, co-founder of Pink Floyd, tells Rolling Stone he's been put on a kill list after speaking out about Western military support for Ukraine. Pressed by uh, Rolling Stone on why he isn't supportive of Ukraine's resistance against Russian forces, Waters said, because it's an unnecessary war and those people should not be dying. And the United States announced today another $625 million aid package to Ukraine. It included the devastating High Mobility Artillery Rocket System, or HIMARS, howitzers, guided missile systems, and ammunition. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. This security assistance package is the 22nd utilization of presidential presidential drawdown authorities for Ukraine by the Biden administration, and we thank Congress for providing the additional authorities in the continuing resolution to make this possible. Today's package includes four HIMARS, 32 howitzers, 200 mine-resistant vehicles, and hundreds of thousands of rounds of artillery and mortar ammunition. Throughout this year, the United States has rallied the world to support the people of Ukraine as they defend their freedom and democracy against Russian aggression. As we are demonstrating again today, the United States will continue to provide Ukraine with key capabilities to meet their evolving battlefield requirements. With the latest package, the U.S. will have committed more than $16.8 billion in aid to Ukraine since the beginning of Russia's invasion on February 24th. And finally, the Daily Beast reported Tuesday Herschel Walker, the football legend now running for Senate in Georgia, who says he wants to ban abortion, saying it's murder, paid for an abortion for his girlfriend in 2009. The woman asked to remain anonymous. The evidence, a get-well card and canceled check for $575, Walker denied the allegation. I never asked anyone to get an abortion. I never paid for an abortion, and it's a lie. And I'm going to continue to fight. You know, I tell you, that's what they want. They want this seat. But right now, they've energized me even more. And they're not going to take the seat. So they better work it even harder because they've jeopardized my kids. They've jeopardized my family. They think they can threaten me. They think they can scare me. Right now, all that done is it's energized me more that I'm going to fight and win this seat for the great people of Georgia because to have someone in the seat that lies to the people shouldn't be in the seat as a senator. Herschel Walker is running for the Senate seat held by Democrat Raphael Warnock. He's supported by former President Donald Trump. And that's the news for Wednesday, October 5th, 2022. The news is written and anchored by myself, Paul DiRienzo. You can get the news at pauldirienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>